0: Hello and welcome to Huge Ass Paddock Pass, this is episode 7 of season 1. I'm Tom Ellison, your host with me in the booth is Andrew Fawcett. That's me. And Alexander Cofford. Yo. So guys, um, it's been just one week since our last episode and we said last time, French Grand Prix, most boring Grand Prix of the year, I think. Um, Yes, definitely. Austria would have had to come up with something to uh, revive the sport and boy did it. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a good breath of fresh air that we got. I I thought it was a great race. I was a little bit sad having raised myself out of bed for the French Grand Prix the week before and sat back and watched Lewis just win with no <laughs> overtaking and no excitement and yep. minimal passion. This had everything. It had a non-Mercedes front row. It had a non-Mercedes winner. It had racing. It had overtaking. It had complaining. It had... Everything you could possibly want. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I guess Elephant in the Room, Max Verstappen, Storming Drive. I think there's no debate about that. Absolutely. Um, But there was a controversy regarding his overtake of Charles Leclerc on the uh, uh, penultimate lap, or three from the end or whatever it was. Yeah. And the stewards took three hours to come up with the decision.
1: Mm-hmm. Can we can we talk about that really quick? Like, which <laughs> <laughs> what that it took them so long?
0: Yeah, it took them longer than the length of the race to come up with the decision to who won the race. It's ridiculous. Actually, no? uh,
2: yeah, I, I'm. There is a fake document going around talking about the decision that the stewards made, and and they said that oh no, we know that's a fake because they're already on Article Forty Two of the race, and we're not even to that incident yet. So. I don't know. The stewards have some crazy things if they're
0: reviewing well over 42 things in their multiple hours. Yeah. So are they being brought these things throughout the race by teams, or are they deciding independently as to what they're investigating? I think they're brought by teams. So there must be, you know, a string of, like, you know, little auto-submissions by teams throughout the race saying, hey, can you look at this? Hey, can you look at that? Right. And obviously if if this... this big incident was towards the end you have to do in chronological order right and it takes them a while to get to the actual really only important incident of the race
1: and I think also it's probably because of the recent incidents in the Canada thing that they might be taking I mean, a little yeah. extra time on incidents you it know they very sensitive politically right I, I think that especially with what happened in Canada uh, the decision they made with the max Charles incident was uh I think it had a lot to do with how people would feel about for, about Formula one and and I think that it's a it's a decision you want to take very carefully um, for sure to, to make because so it definitely has a lot of political and just there's a lot of implication
0: so let me let me ask you two both first of all and this is this is a one word answer from both of you. I don't want any qualifications or explanations. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you one at a time. First of all, Andrew, do yep. you agree with the steward's decision? Yes. Alex, do you agree with the steward's decision? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. I want to hear. I want to hear arguments for maybe. First of all. Okay. The arguments for
2: maybe is. I In a vacuum, I don't think he should be punished. I think uh, we've talked about too much stewarding and allowing the drivers to drive their own racing. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to call the Canada a penalty, the Canada incident a penalty, how do you not do the same thing in this scenario? So for consistency, st- consistency's sake, I think it should be a penalty. But... As a sport, in moving forward and uh, uh, trying to improve, I do not think it should be a penalty.
0: So let's okay. let's ex- let, let's let's talk through the incident as it occurred. Yep. Um, so Charles from Pole ran away, led, set you know quick laps, solid drive, as he did in Bahrain. Right, he he ran away a little bit, got out yeah. of the R S, to the Mercedes, and just kept kept picking in his lap times as the team was telling him to. Right. The team was saying was target gap. lap time, right? The like he was asking at one point. I remember in the race, he was asking, you know, I can go faster. Should I go faster? The team was saying, right. no. Here's your target lap time. That's what he right. did. You know, optimal team drive. Max, bad start, was down to seventh, I think, at the first corner, uh, from second on the grid, uh,
1: deep in the field. Yeah, seventy three. deep in the field. Um,
0: managed the traffic. Managed the race made his tires last that extra bit longer. So he had, I think he had like 10, 15 lap tires newer
1: than Charles when they stopped. Which is a really amazing call, by the way. Which uh, is a great call. I think call. Red Bull did a really good job on the strategy. Yeah, they did. For, the, for their one driver,
0: by right. the way. That's, that's, <laughs> we'll that's, get to, we'll so, get to we'll, that. We'll get to that. For their <laughs> one driver, they did an amazing job. Um, so Max had, you know, newer tires than Charles. He had a quick car. Obviously, that car's very quick around the circuit. It won there last year. It's quick there again this year. Um, And he reels him in. He overtakes Mm -hmm. the Mercedes. He overtakes um, Vettel at one point through the pit stop cycle. And he's ready to go. And he closes in on Charles with a few laps left. So, first time he comes up to overtake him. Down the inside into turn two everyone leaves each other room and Charles out drags him on the exit of the corner right with DRS
1: by the way with DRS so max had DRS open and Charles still dragged him that's impressive i mean yeah it's impressive <laughs> ferrari
0: has the most powerful engine in the sport yep. at the moment i think that's agreed that's a commonly established fact so and charles was playing that absolutely perfectly that's what he knew mm-hmm. he had to do he couldn't towards the inside, because with fresh tires can just break around the outside, squeeze him on the apex and manage that on the exit the corner. If he goes too far to the outside then Max can dive down the inside, take up all the room on the exit and get away and he won't have a chance to outdrack him. So Charles played absolutely perfectly in terms of racing tactics. He put himself in the middle of the track, he gave Max a lane to the inside that he knew he would have to take and then he gave him a car's width on the apex and no more, so he would compromise his exit it gives Max, you know, a little bit of a, a challenge in getting back on the throttle because he can't wash wide into the car on the outside, and then Charles can dictate the pace of the two cars on the exit of the corner and rely upon that superior power to get ahead down the straight into the next corner Yep So that's what happened on the first time Max came Which, up from Charles
1: Yeah, really good defense
0: Great racing and mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about you. I was sitting in my seat, getting very excited. I was clapping and cheering, and yep it was a shot in the arm that Formula One needed at this time. <laughs> and it's great racing, and that was sure. that was that was phenomenal to see. The next lap, exactly the same thing happens. Charles puts his car in exactly the same place. Max goes to the inside. He gets to the apex of the corner, and he starts to open up the steering of the car to maximize his exit. And the problem is, Charles is still on the outside of that corner. He's still there. Does Max care? I don't think so. He opens up his steering, hits Charles, forces him off track, compromises exit. Max is able to accelerate away and defend the position into the following corner, get the lead of the race. So, was that a deliberate action by Max?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. I think it was, right? Yes. I think we're all in agreement there. He knew what had happened the prior lap. He did something to prevent that happening again,
1: and he's done this in the past. He the has, same, <laughs> I mean, he has form, Right,
0: right. He's we have history. We we have we have prior. We have prior right. convictions, um, right. and it's a deliberate move, to my mind. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a blatant, deliberate move. He forces Charles off the track to compromise his exit to secure the pass. Okay, by... so I have.
1: Okay, I have a scenario for you. Go on. So, say, and this is kind of going back to what we talked about with uh, with uh, with France. Say the track wasn't paved yep. on the exit, and there wasn't uh, a way for Leclerc to to leave the track safely and come back and not lose a lot of time. Yep, he would have done the smart thing and backed out.
0: Well, he would he would have backed out after the initial contact. Right. I, th- I think that's the key point here. Okay. I agree with. Uh, I know that there have been uh, ex-drivers on social media, Alex Verts as well, who I think was involved in the GPDA and, and the stewards' inquiries. Pedro de la Rosa was also involved on social media saying, hey, the car on the outside could have backed out. Mm-hmm. And I agree. If if there were gravel on the outside of the corner, he would have backed out. But he it's would actually have actually backed out after being. It's very hit.
1: similar to. Schumacher and Villeneuve didn't they have an which, incident which one <laughs> Well, uh uh I think it was in Austria. It was the same thing where they set the same qualifying time and no, that, that was uh
0: Hereth. Hereth. oh yes. Like ninety seven
1: but it was it's a similar it's a similar situation where there was a late dive down the inside, there was wheel to wheel contact, and the well, other driver I mean, went off
0: i mean in that situation Michael. Michael, Michael. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, obviously before yeah. the apex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: okay. So yeah, maybe it's not, that, never, was, that okay, was a double yeah. cut
0: and dried. Um, yeah, I think. I think That's in this true. in this specific scenario, like, Shal, Shal, Shal could have backed out and would yeah. have done before after the initial contact if there had been gravel on the outside.
1: Yeah,
0: but then there there was no need for that initial contact, to my mind. I agree. I agree.
1: I agree. But I I don't
0: want to see
2: a race-deciding, stewarding decision. So even though I'm saying I don't want there to be a penalty, I don't want there to be a penalty to be applied to that race if you can't do it within the race. If you have to say, Max, you have to drink three beers and eat two hot dogs before you get in the car and race next time and you're starting at the back of the grid, I'm all for it. But... I I do, I can't support another change of the
0: finishing order penalty. We've had too much of it recently. I I agree with that because it's bad optically for the sport and it impacts the appeal of the sport to new viewers. Yeah. If you if you can't watch a race and know with certainty who won it at the end of the race, then that's not acceptable. In terms and of with experience. that, I would
2: I would rather. FIA and just kind of motorsport in general err on the side of no penalty rather than being overbearing so again I think the cars are going to kind of police themselves let's pretend Verstappen does this again in the next 4 or 5 races especially let's pretend it's another Ferrari um, karma comes and goes right we, we know mm. that uh, certain people have reputations for you know paying your karma back and, and so my point is, is let them handle it on stage if it gets out of hand I think the drivers can do a great job of handling it themselves and that's why I kind of am like you know what, don't police it too much don't, don't change the results and mm. don't cause, or not cause but uh, have a penalty
0: Yeah, I, 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 think, I think you're right um, I think there's, there's two ways to approach that and I, I think the middle ground that F1 has chosen at the moment is not the correct one you either have zero policing and let the drivers sort it out themselves, which there is precedent for. That's how we used to do things back in the day. And you know, certain drivers had a particularly bad reputation for causing incidents.
1: Yeah. And And there's actually um, I know this is an F1 but in in NASCAR in the past few years um, there was a lot of people complaining about how uh, you know the, there was too many rules and things were too regulated, and so um, I think it was Brian France, one of the head ups, said a famous words boys have at it, which is basically like telling the drivers, you know what, rubbin's race and go for it, and and like, you know, <laughs> do what you have to do to win, which I don't think is the right way either, but it's it's kind of like that has that's it's not universal. I mean, it's pretty universal, I think, in motorsport is that there's been that type of driving and mentality in a lot of different motorsports so it's not unprecedented
0: I think there should be a restriction on the timeliness these penalties need to be you know uh, served and complied with with this incident in Austria to my mind I think to most people's minds, Max was at fault for causing collision and gaining advantage because of it. Had he had the call in the next 30 seconds, let's say, hey Max, you must cede the position back, then I don't think anyone would have been too upset with that decision, other than Max Verstappen himself.
2: But, you know, you're making rush decisions I think that scenario would have been a good choice, yeah. but do we really want these stewards that we've given so much flack to trying to make decisions within 20 seconds of an incident? Well, I mean, um,
0: also I think part of blame here is this guest rotation system the FIA have now, where there's there's a different ex-driver as the chief's, you know, the oh, driving advisor, sure. the steward every single race. Yeah. They yeah. can to have be... a totally
2: different opinion on what should be allowed, what shouldn't be right. allowed, as, their own personal know,
0: biases people are people are entirely subjective uh racing drivers entirely so um yeah. we see that even in our online racing and our online league everyone will have two views of a particular incident oh really I,
1: it's <laughs> strange
0: it's strange <laughs> i i don't want to call anyone out force it but uh <clears throat> here yeah. we are
2: yeah um but so this is twice in a row where it's been inconsistent but kind of screwed over ferrari uh The McLaren fan (laughs) in me is screaming from the roofs, Hallelujah. But at the same time, I I just want consistency. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: and and they they were two fundamentally different incidents, I think. In Canada, Vettel was leading, went off the track, and then tried to gain an advantage by blocking. In Austria, Charles was leading, got hit, and was impacted by someone trying to gain an advantage by, by blocking. Mm hmm.
2: But but the point is the two point controversial is that- things both go against Ferrari and yeah. and so that but it's the consistency again of awarding a penalty and not awarding a penalty. Whether who's at fault, well it's the Ferrari's fault this time and it wasn't that time, that doesn't matter. It's just the fact that you know they're having a terrible season and right. and you know, they need everything they can get. Theoretically, they could have won the last two races. Yeah. Um, based off of just stewarding nothing else. Yeah. And that's and so you're in a situation where, oh, man, I, I don't know. They're they're struggling. You know, they're they're they have a good car. They're putting it together. Their drivers are doing decent, you know, not consistent. But when they're doing good, they're doing good. You have a chance for two wins and it's easy to feel slighted. We just yeah. talked about having a bias, right? Being a driver. Now, imagine being a owner. Or you know, being the head of the Ferrari F1, you're you're gonna feel extraordinarily slighted. So, um I don't know, just kind of a weird situation that they get double screwed on it.
0: Yeah, I agree. It It's it's I think that's that's coincidental, given all the uh the flak around it, and the, the surrounding circumstances. Yeah, but it's, I mean, again, don't get me wrong. I want fer- I
2: want Ferrari to be bad, but not because of stewarding. I just want them <laughs> to be slow because they're uh, a crap organization.
0: They didn't used to be. No. Back back in the Ross Brawn days, they were a well-polished uh, unit. Yeah, but I, think I,
1: so. I I just I think I don't know I just think with as much ground as Max up, closed up, I, it's hard to say. But I, I feel like he was always going to win that race once he once he got into second place and he was chasing down Leclerc and, and he had the tire advantage. I think that it was kind of evident that he was going to get there. Um, I think. I, I was going to say that Leclerc might have known that he was closing the gap so much and known that Max is such an aggressive driver and maybe gone with more caution. But you, when you're racing for the lead <laughs> with three laps to go, I don't think you can say that.
0: I, I I agree. There was a certain inevitability about that race once Max got past Bottas, who, by the way, rolled over incredibly easily. Yeah, the Mercedes uh, were just I wasn't nowhere. impressed by that at all, but... We'll move on from that. Um, there was a certain inevitability about the victory, and Charles yeah. was being appraised of the closing gap, and like, he was being exhorted to push as much as he could, and you know he probably did, but it wasn't enough. Yep. So there was that psychological advantage that Max would have had.
2: And so since he got the win, we you know we've heard so much about the rumors of him having an out clause for performance reasons. Yep and Red Bull has confirmed that there is a clause, but it's not been confirmed what it is. Is it finishing position for the season, wins, something else? So there's a chance that this win kind of locks uh, Max in for the rest of his contract.
0: Right, and I guess that would have been centered around ultimately concerns about the performance of the Honda Power Unit, having seen how, you know, relatively poorly it performed with the McLaren the season before and then for Red Bull to make this gamble to go with Honda for this year. It yeah. makes sense to put a clause in to say, if these guys really can't get it together, if they had been being outraced by the McLaren and by the, Re- the Renault, then that would have been you know a, a chance to get out. But that wasn't the case. That hasn't been the case this season. This was the yeah. first win for Honda in the, in the hybrid power era. Um, Which I'm yeah. impressed.
1: I'm impressed when when the whole McLaren deal was going on I didn't think that Honda would even continue to be a manufacturer um, but for them to get a win is uh, impressive
0: but we've seen this before like I, I think I've mentioned in the podcast previously Honda have a very particular MO when it comes to entering and re-entering Formula 1 they enter slowly they have some years of pain and you know underperformance when they get their, their eye in But they work at it, they invest in it, and eventually they're successful. This happened in their initial entry in uh, 1964, I think it was. They entered, you know, with a factory entry. Didn't win a race in 1967. Then they won a race, and they had the most powerful engine in the field. Same in the 80s. They entered with, uh, I think, Spirit F1 was the name of the team. With, you know, they were a sort of quasi factory entry with this Honda power plant in 1984 ish. And they didn't win for a few years and suddenly they have the Honda engines in the back of the Williams and they were unbeatable mm-hmm. uh, we saw it in the early 2000s when they entered with BAR, very uncompetitive give it three or four years, suddenly Jensen Button, the BAR, is winning races and, and competing at the front this is the pattern that they have, and- I think that
2: Honda's getting a lot of credit for nothing Um, I I, I should not say nothing.
0: That's that's a spicy hot take.
2: I I don't even think it's that spicy. I I just think you two are both wrong on this. Um, (laughs) Wow. Is, put it this way. We've seen, if you you throw this race out, actually, no, let's include this race in because, you know, they won, Red Bull won last year. Red Bull is farther off the pace on average than they were in previous seasons. They were challengers to win at places like Monaco, they're challengers to win at a lot of these tracks, and and they're still getting to the point that Red Bull's calling them out publicly, saying, we need more power, we're the fourth fastest engine on the grid, we need more power, who cares? Uh, Dr. Helmut Marco has said this last week before the race, if Max needs to start at the back to get a better engine, we will do it. Um I think Red Bull and, and this is obviously, you know, kind of common knowledge that they design good cars. Red Bull designs really good cars. And so I think it kind of covers up the same weaknesses that Honda has had. And Honda's getting Honda is getting this credit saying, Oh, they're back, they're back, they're back. The news reports are still they're the slowest engine. They can't up the power without breaking the reliability. They have to have um, engineers from Mercedes in the previous years come over and literally walk them through the split turbo. There's a lot of issues that I think Honda is kind of getting lucky that they're with Red Bull. If the Honda engine was in a Renault or a Haas or whatever, I think they'd be competing with Williams. And... And so, yeah, I mean, it's weird, right? We don't have a whole bunch of cars because it's Red Bull and Red Bull Light that have it, and so we don't have a whole big diagram. But Red Bull in general has taken a step back this year, even though Verstappen has been better this year, more consistent this year in the years past, and people are somehow yeah. giving credit to Honda. I just don't, I don't get it.
0: I, th- I think the credit is coming from the fact that Honda engine was so dismal in the McLaren last year that anything better than that performance is a step up and yes, Red Bull's chassis is, is, as we're seeing now, vastly superior to what McLaren were working with last season that it's a Honda engine that won a race and you can't do that without improving over a Honda engine that was struggling to finish 17th last year
1: with a world championship pairing. with a world,
0: with a with the best driver on the grid right. <clears throat> I'm going to be honest yeah, with the best
1: driver in the grid
2: that's not I don't know that's that's jumping from A to C to F with skipping a whole bunch of things that McLaren was running a engine or was running a chassis package not even built for that engine they, they threw together literally parts, bin cars, Stoffel's car was broken, and they decided, screw it, we're building for 2019, we're not building for 2018. So yeah, McLaren kind of sucked because of all of those reasons, but again, I, I mean, it's, they were in that situation because Honda screwed them so bad. We've yeah. all seen the... Netflix documentary where the Honda doesn't even bolt up to the transmission that McLaren made <laughs> yep. because Honda lied about its dimensions and then refused to give McLaren the actual blueprints to see where it bolts up. And the yep. guy had to rip it out of his hands and say, give me the dimension so we can actually bolt this up. So I don't know. I, maybe I'm just a salty McLaren fan that hates Honda, but definitely. Y- yeah. I just, oh man. I'm like, <laughs> I, I just don't get the praise. You know, I'm not saying that they're terrible, but I don't... If you were to build a generic car, you wouldn't put it in over a Ferrari engine. You wouldn't put it in over a Mercedes engine. And I wouldn't put it in... Well, I don't know. With Renault, it's kind of a toss-up. I think Renault's got a little bit more power, but it's also got kind of ex on the reliability.
1: Yeah. I think you make some really good points. I still think that <laughs> it's a massive improvement over their performance the last few years. Um but I, I, I think can see some key. of the points reckon.
0: I think it's key that they continue a trajectory.
1: Yeah. For the if, good of the sport, I
2: agree. Yes. Right.
0: Now we don't know what the reg changes are gonna be in a couple of years' time, that's still not determined. But for now the you know, this engine era is here to stay for now. And F one needs another player. To
2: Minus the M G U K, is that Am I remembering I have no idea right? at this point. I think they are getting rid of the MGUK. Was the last I heard. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: So uh, yeah, it's it's still broadly similar. Or MGUH,
1: I can't remember. I'm brain dead.
0: We're, we're, we're not that we're not that good at this. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but
1: I, I think we should also talk about the uh, the the mid pack. I think there was a really few. Uh, good drives that... F1.5. Yeah, I think there was a couple of really good drives that might have been overshadowed by Max's amazing recovery. Well, Sights. Um, Let's
0: talk about Carlos. Yeah. I think both,
1: both McLarens uh, did reasonably well. I think Lando had an amazing start. He was at third. Oh, yeah. He was at he was in third place at one point. He I was. Mean, for, he, for a split second. But he was racing with Lewis for a ra- handful he of corners. He raced Lewis
0: hard and fair. And, yeah. you know, great job by both of them. Yeah. But, that, um... Carlos proved, you know, he can, he can be up there with the best. He started mm-hmm. way down and ran a contrary strategy, completely counterintuitive to the rest of the pack, and put in the laps where it mattered.
2: And so that's with the new upgraded Renault engine. So maybe it's a fluke, maybe it's not, but it's good to see, because as much as I make fun of Renault and Honda for not being able to put out more horsepower than my lawnmower, you know, <laughs> I, I, I want them to be competitive. I, uh, I think Fernando Alonso had a really good post where he said sixth place in this race was still a lap down. That's not acceptable. Uh, and, and so the more that we can get them, even, I don't want spec races by any means, but the Mm. more that we can get them close together, it kind of alludes to, wow, look at, like, look at the drive week he had. That, Mm. That was absolutely amazing. And shame on the race director. For not getting yeah. one pass on camera, he went from all the way in the back to P eight, catching Gasly until he broke his wing, and not one pass made the coverage.
0: Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame when these when these great performances are marginalized somewhat by by the media attention and by the coverage that we have on the race day. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there was a battle up front that was that was undeniable box office. Yeah. Um, and so
2: McLaren's feeling so confident, meaning mid-pack confident, that yeah. did you guys hear the radio broadcast that they sent Lando Norris when he was in front of Danny Rick, who is in front of Pierre Gasly? No. So they radioed him and said, try...
0: not. I, I don't want to oh, say yeah, slow down. Oh, I did, yeah, yeah, I did try, hear that. Oh, yeah, trying to keep, keep him keep in, DRS in range. range.
2: Keep, well, keep... Uh, Keep, keep Ricardo in kind DRS of range. So can stay ahead of Gasly. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to. I mean, it we're going to talk about
0: Gasly, balls, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, it's it kind of ballsy. Ball- <laughs> it takes some balls to make that call and cover. you got to so, have
2: some confidence. And confidence that was your awesome. Package.
1: Especially <laughs> to, confidence in your your younger rookie driver. Right. To, to be able to
0: manage that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's Who kind it,
2: of, <laughs> had the best response
1: uh,
0: like, forever? Like forever? <laughs> I mean it was a very
1: strange request. It was a strange call.
0: But you could kind of see what they were thinking at the same time. Like I like that sort of off yeah in the moment thinking for strategy. That that that's kinda cool. And Um, it
2: almost worked. Um was close until he popped his wing. Uh he was gaining on Ghastly and we all know catching's one thing, passing's another, but Sange was clearly on fire, had a great car up to that point, and it it really could have been close.
0: So, that leads us neatly to Mr. Pierre Gasly, who we spoke about last time, and oh boy. We, came rec- we came to the conclusion, as a team, we came to the conclusion that actually he's doing okay. Do we think that's still the case?
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going to change my answer to no, Ooh. but I am not going to put him at fault for it.
0: So you think the Red Bull management is at fault
2: instead? 100%. Okay. Um, Helmet Marco had a re- uh, interview again before this race, yeah. and he says, "quote We told Gasly that he needs to use the Verstappen adjustment. He must adjust his driving style to the setup. He must concentrate on driving that way and not constantly telling Mister Nui how to build the car for him."
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. I I am just going to put this Red Bull.
2: out there you put 15 other F1 drivers in Verstappen's car and they're going to kill themselves, right? Like they're either going to be slow or it's going to be too dangerous. You, you don't design to, why would you design a car for someone and not be flexible to their strengths and weaknesses? That is absolutely asinine, absolutely back ass word. And just the stupidest thing I have heard in a long time from someone that's done so well in formula one to say, Pierre Gasly has to be just like Max Verstappen and use all of his settings.
0: Okay, so I'll call you on that point. You said, for someone who has done so well in Formula 1, what is their record in Formula 1?
2: You mean with... Uh...
0: No, what is Red Bull's record? And I'll tell you what it is. That was a rhetorical question, by the okay, way. Okay, so Sorry. the four world champs
2: <laughs> right? championships, that and then... Was,
0: that was four world championships in a car designed around Sebastian Vettel.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was exactly the same modus operandi that they've employed throughout their time in Formula 1. They didn't design that car about Mark Webber. He didn't even fit in it the first time he sat in it. <laughs> he he was too tall that. for the car. I forgot he, about that. That car was... you know, Adrian Newey is a legend. He's a hero of mine. And I will endlessly respect him for his work. He designs a very tightly packaged car. And he designed that car around the number one driver at Red Bull, which is Sebastian Vettel. It was to his driving strength, to his driving style, it was to his dimensions, it was to everything that he could possibly ask for it. And they executed on it brilliantly.
2: Yes, uh, okay, so I get what you mean. I totally agree um, with what you just said. I just feel that there is a very short list of people that can tread water as a second Red Bull driver. And... Maybe this goes to show that they should have kept Danny Rick, right? And I know that he left right. on his own accord. Not saying that Red Bull didn't want him, but not, I don't know. I know Ricardo wanted to write his own legacy and stuff, but he was able to tread water and even take the race to Max once mm-hmm, in a while and and do well. And so... We all know the writing's on the wall. It's going to be public or private displeasure, public displeasure, and then he's going to get canned, meaning Gasly, yeah. and that's yeah. how Red Bull operates. And They're so going to
0: destroy his career.
2: And so mm-hmm. I fully anticipate that this will be, meaning this upcoming race here at uh, Silverstone, will be Gasly's last in the Red Bull.
0: Oh really? Wow. Uh,
2: yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I think if you're going to make a move. Right or wrong, right before the summer break is a good time to do it, right? Yes, Um. And, man, so I don't know. I I don't see anyone being successful. We talked about a list of drivers possibly in the last one. But no matter who we throw in there, do we think they're going to be even relatively successful? No. And that's the fault is is Red Bull's got to realize they can't. Well, they can, right? I mean, they're not going to get second place and they're not going to get fourth place. They can do whatever they want, but...
0: Right. They know exactly what they're fighting for. They're fighting for... Race wins. Race wins, and I'm brutally cynical. They're fighting for screen time. Mm -hmm. And and you said the
2: exact right thing is it's going to ruin Pierre Gasly's career. I don't think he's a world beater. I don't think he's the best
1: young talent on the grid. Um, But I do think think... he's right up there. I don't think he's... I, I think he's a lot better than his results show. For sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that him getting lapped by his teammate I don't think that I, I don't I don't think he's that bad I don't I don't think that that he is the, at such a pace deficit that he's getting lapped by his teammate you know it's
2: and think about the yeah. mental side of going into a race knowing that your team is actively I don't want to say trying to sabotage you but actively not promoting an environment for you to flourish
0: yeah Right that, and they have no interest in doing that as well. That's, exactly. That's really, mentally that must be a very frustrating place to be.
2: Yeah, if yeah, I was to, him I'd be like you know switch me with a McLaren or a Renault or something I don't know but get me uh, out because if why he Danny can Rick left right. That's, yeah, that's, and so yeah. maybe that. that's smart and but we know how limited F1 seats are. There's only 10 cars 10 sorry 10 teams on the grid. And it's hard to keep a spot, so maybe a terrible spot's better than no spot at all, as you know, Mister Ocon can vouch for.
1: You know? <laughs> well, I think um, it's just interesting yeah. too, um, listening to Christian Horner during the broadcast and they're interviewing him, and he he, you can hear it in his voice. Like he goes, when they're talk when he's talking about Max and Max's strategy and what's Max is doing, he's so positive and he's so, very obviously prefers max and then they and then they ask him about uh, gasly and he's like he's managing his race he's doing what he needs to do and yeah. then it's just like that's it's very matter of the fact silence so it's just funny like i feel like they have this appearance they're trying to give that they're trying to be fair to both drivers but it's very obvious that they're not it was um, so
2: close to being a yeah. good race for him to uh, potentially his um, Q one time was awesome. Piers was yep. Q two time was awesome. His Q three time was great until he made a mistake, lost grip, and you know qualified ninth. As we all know, uh, oh, man, that could have been the breakthrough, and I really mm-hmm. want to see it happen because he. I'm not saying he was faster than Max. He wasn't, but he was within a couple tenths of him every run. So, I I think, I, I, I'm rooting I think for you're the guy.
0: Right. Silverstone will be a key race for him. If he can at least prove that he can push Max a little bit, then I think he'll be okay for the rest of the season. Yeah. If he's as far off as he has been in a couple of races this year already, then there might be some tougher conversations.
2: So instead of the what-ifs, if you're a gambling man, you know, do you think he finishes out the season?
0: I think he does. Um, for a couple of reasons. Namely... That there is no ready replacement knocking on the door. Uh, we discussed that last last episode. Yeah. Um, and he hasn't been a poor. They're not fighting for a constructive championship. They're not fighting for a drivers championship. For sure. They don't need. Objectively, they don't need a second driver to 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 really yeah. score all Wait the podiums, all the points.
2: I know who's the perfect number two driver. <laughs> Go and I'm not even joking. Okay. Okay. i give you a hint. He flipped off Lewis Hamilton. No. No. Yes. It would be no. awesome. No. He would just Kim- get in Kimmy- the car. He would just drive. He would
0: never do that, though.
2: But he no. would because he wouldn't listen to anything Red Bull said to him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Yes. The helmet needs absolute re- obedience. We know that.
2: For sure. And Kimmy would say yes until he got in the car and then be like, listen, I was lying the whole time. <laughs>
1: No, I oh. love Jimmy. You all know that. Yeah, He's I, I marvelous. I, th- I think that if there's a driver... up, if there, I feel like if there's a driver lineup change at Red Bull, it will be uh, Pierre leaving as opposed to him getting fired. Because I think Red Bull would be perfectly fine with continuing to treat him as they have treated. I think that yeah. it'll be him pulling a Danny Rick and getting fed up and leaving rather than than them, unless he, you know, does things that are, you know, worthy of getting fired. But I, I think he's smarter than that. I don't think he'll mouth off or, or do anything. No, that would, he won't. He, he's very you know, professional. He's very he's very smart. So, I think we should also give a small shout out to George Russell. I know he's in the slowest I, car.
0: I have tremendous respect for Mister George Russell. Yeah, um, he
1: he put in a. I, I think he for what he had and for what what he has underneath him I think he's been doing a really great job and he has like the most positive interviews for someone that's in the slowest car he's like we just need to get more downforce in the car but you know we're doing the best we can you know he's just he's very positive I think he's very talented I think for a young
0: guy to have that much composure and professionalism in the position that he's in speaks very well to him he's only like 21 or something
2: And it's different than Lando, right? When Lando gets an interview, it's goofy, aloof. Even Leclerc is kind of the same way. George Russell is very professional.
0: Yeah. He's very down to earth. He's very professional. Yeah. I've
2: been very impressed with him.
0: You listen to him when he talks because he's talking the truth. Yeah. Like, this guy's the real deal, I think. I do, too. I wasn't too sure until... He won GP3. He won GP2, Formula 2 as it was. Mm Mm-hmm. Straight into a Formula One seat, he's out-raced, out-qualified Robert Kubica comprehensively this season. Yep,
2: and he got like, first points for Williams this week. Mm-hmm. Did he score points in the end? Well, it was a penalty point in qualifying, well, but it was the first points that Williams
1: it's
0: got. First <laughs> <still a> points. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let him have it. I, you know what? I think he's really actually doing a great job.
2: I do too. Uh, yeah, I he's, do
0: fin- he's finished. He's finished every race. Mm-hmm. Like he hasn't made any big mistakes. He hasn't. Destroyed the car. He's doing a really fantastic job. Um, I think he was
1: racing against the Haas's. Oh God! He, yeah, which uh, which and which, the, the Toro Rosso's this, oh, this Yeah, uh, like, he which, was back which to be fair, the Haas is kind of like a hot mess of garbage. So yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's, you know, they, I think I they're kind of the race pace, but yeah, they're the kind of on a work. downward trajectory, and Williams is on a very slight upward trajectory. <laughs> Right. So yeah. And I,
0: I hope by the end of the season, like Williams can not necessarily beat these guys, but can at least compete with them. That would be yeah. great. Yeah. Gosh, the Haas
2: is so weird. Magnussen had such an amazing qualifying run and started P five, P six? P six. Yeah. And I mean they just can't connect the dots. I don't know what it is, but you I know they've blamed the tires hundred thousand times but i don't get it i don't get how you can be so hot or so cold race to race it's they are the 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 crazy hot girlfriend line versus the, you know <laughs> what side of the line you're on you never know with them and unfortunately yeah. right now they're on the crazy side not the hot side so
1: i really I hope t- they
2: turn it around but man it's not looking good i
1: tend to feel like it's a I think it's it's a it's a large issue with the car. I, I'm not sure that it's the drivers. I, I agree think, with that.
0: I don't think, like either of them personally, but
1: I'm not Grosjean's biggest fan because he's a whiner and he just complains and he's French. But you know, but I think K. Mag is he's a he's a skilled driver. I think he's got some skill, and obviously he's quick and qualifying. And I yep. think even for some, like I, I feel like. Even if you're, like, maybe a really great qualifier not a great racer, I still feel like you'd do better than they are doing in the races, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that they're just fighting the car way too much. Uh, I don't know what what's wrong with it, but it just seems like...
2: With all the drama that's happening with their title sponsor, they just lost another lawsuit Rich Energy did for their logo and stuff. <laughs> uh, which, you, I mean, I don't live in many places but i have never seen a rich energy drink i've not you know i've seen people on reddit saying we live in you know in europe and no one's seen it we don't know what it is and a lot of people i saw think you could buy it on
1: amazon i saw you could buy it on, almost bought it was like a case though it was like 50 bucks for like a case of i don't know 12 or something and i was gonna buy it but i was just it wasn't worth it for because i knew it was gonna suck <laughs>
0: and it's, it's potentially something dodgy there right right right
1: yeah so
2: i i just really hope that they can come together because same thing we're down to 10 10 constructors and yep. we do not need nine we need 11 we need 12 we need a full grid we do not need 18 cars taking the grid so uh for both williams and haas I just want to see a little bit more stability, a little bit more long-term improvement, and and kind of just working towards being a better program.
0: Well, I think I think that that then brings us back to the to the to the root and the heart of this issue, which is the the rule set and the financial obligations of Formula One and the teams.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In that, at the moment, Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari have disproportionate payouts from TV money, TV deals race results as a result of the deals they've made with the F1 management in the past is a
1: created this two-tier system is a and I don't I uh, I'm not super informed on the entire history of Formula 1 because I just started watching the last few years but is it is there any precedent for having a like a budget cap or like a like I know no. like other things have salary caps you know like you can only pay your a lot your of team it's so many
2: A lot of it's done with limited CFD time you can use, limited aero time you can use, meaning wind tunnel and track time. You're not allowed to Mm -hmm. run the current spec year, um, car, or if I remember right, maybe even the year before spec. Was, you, have yeah, a a few
0: mor- you have a certain moratorium on the number of years back you can go. Yeah, that and was so really the big, the big change that was made a few years ago, which was the testing ban. It, it's,
2: but it's still not stopping people, meaning Mercedes, from throwing half a billion dollars a year at their program.
1: So, right. I mean, just because you can't go to an actual wind tunnel doesn't mean you can't spend hundreds of million dollars on simulating a wind tunnel. Um, right
0: and that, but that wasn't the case 20 years ago that's right. the thing Te- technology has mm-hmm. outpaced the regulations at this point you can simulate multiple full races in a single day yeah now when you couldn't before
2: so if you can and do that, that why can't Ferrari get it right in any of the races because
0: they're italian <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because this is a s- team this is a team that's been in formula 1 since 1950 the first ever formula 1 race in 1950 and in 2019 at the Austrian Grand Prix, they failed to bring out tires in time to put on the car. <laughs> <laughs> now they were out back having point, a cigarette. You can't, you can't excuse that anymore. <laughs> They're taking I... their
2: Marlboro um, promo picks out back. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it's inexcusable. It's not
1: Marlboro. It's, it's Mission Winnow.
0: Mission Winnow. Oh yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. It's inexcusable <clears throat> to have that level of ineptitude for, you know, the most popular, the most powerful, the most expensive, the most profitable F1 team in history, to yep. do that. Uh, no.
1: Meanwhile, um, Williams is doing like almost sub two second pit stops. Right, Williams like... have their
0: have their pit stop strategy down. They're on the perfect strategy, oh, yeah. the perfect routine. Just their car happens to be <laughs> two seconds a lap slower than the Ferrari. Uh, if they yeah. had the Ferrari, they'd be beating everybody. Oh, I'll be, say that now. Yeah. Yep. It's it's really is a travesty, and I think you know some serious overhaul. And Ferrari have, again, I keep saying you keep coming back to this you know historical pattern. Ferrari have a pattern of lulls and of downtime throughout Formula One. I'm thinking the mid '60s, in the in the you know '80s, they didn't win a race between 1982 and 1989. They had seven seven years without a race win. Yeah. They have hit, you know, and then again Between 1991 and 1996 They didn't win a race
2: And really, like, even since uh, Schumacher left And I know that they've won titles And I know that they won a lot of races But well, neither they, they, of they those not, are proportional to the amount Of money they spend
0: They lucked into the 2007 Championship with Kimi Like, I know Kimi's great He drove well that season But McLaren should have won that championship For sure Either Lewis or Nando should have won that championship And then they destroyed themselves internally Since then, 2010, Alonso put that car in positions that had no right to be. They haven't really been close since 2004 when Shumi was there.
2: Yeah, and you would assume for a mid-pack team, if I just pulled out the results from, let's say, the day that Schumacher left to now, you'd be like, okay, maybe for Williams that's good or whatever, but when you are by far... Above and beyond everyone on income, and, and except for Mercedes right now, how much you've spent, yeah.
0: You don't, income budget, right? You tenant. don't want
2: to be beat by Mercedes, by, uh, by Red Bull, by all of these programs up and down, left and right, and you know here and there. It's not like they're consistently beating them, but I don't know. Ferrari is too good to not be this good, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. They're they're underperforming still. I know I know they almost won race last weekend. They're still underperforming.
2: Because last year was the first good year for Ferrari, like really good year. And I know they didn't win it all, but for a they season were they were competitive, and th- th- that's more that you can say this year or two years ago or three years ago all the way back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they need a fundamental review of the management structure and the, and the personnel they have involved. They have the drivers, they have some of the technical staff, they don't have the management staff that are. Required. I fully agree. And, uh, dragging you back to the Austrian Grand Prix, there's no there's no way that, you know, that team should not be able to service their car on the right time or the right lap. And it was but great
1: strategy, like when they brought him in to to block. Bodice. Um, bodice. Yeah. yeah. It was great strategy. Like it would have worked perfectly.
0: Yeah. Great idea. But no one told the pick crew <laughs> to get <laughs> ready right. the Or yeah, they told him was, and they're like eh, still we'll be gap. out there with yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's 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 poor. Yep. <sighs> but I don't know. I'm I'm gonna make one of these great segues now. Are you ready, by the way? I'm ready for it. Speaking of teams under preparing for the twenty nineteen season. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, that's rough. Team Huge Ass (laughs) The self-inflicted burn The self-inflicted burn, I can say that because I am partially responsible for our efforts this year We had a bad time at Watkins Glen We discussed that in episode 4 We all know what happened Let's not rehash that again But, we are back on track in a couple of weeks time We're heading to Indianapolis The home of motorsport in America Uh, I'm excited I don't know about you guys
1: I am stoked. Yeah. I'm very excited.
2: I, I just love supporting a real-life race team and and to be on a track like Indianapolis is such a cool story. This is the first time Champ Cars ran there ever. And yep. and really, it's the first time that Indy Motor Speedway has allowed anything like this.
0: It's the first time they've opened up to a, to a budget racing series.
2: Right, and so... This is pretty special. Special, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely.
0: This is if you speak to anyone around the world, you know, you you say the word Champ Car, you say the word IndyCar Car, there's a sort of there's a there's a lack of engagement. You say the word Indianapolis, people think racing. They know Mm -hmm. this name. They know the the draw of this facility.
1: I mean, the name of the town the racetrack is in is called Speedway. How right. cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> it gives you an idea of just how ingrained this this this, yeah.
0: this facility Here. is in the, in the mentality of the country.
2: I'll, yep. I'll one-up you. They named the
1: city and the state after the racetrack. Right. <laughs> there you go. No, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a, I've been a race fan literally my whole life. Um and Indy is a place I've never been to, and I've always wanted to go to, and to be going there to race, not just as a um, a tourist to you know take a tour of the track. It's going to be really really cool to walk through Gasoline Alley and, and stand in the pit lane, and uh, I'm really looking and forward to it. Even as a crew member, like I'm not racing, but just to be there and help the team, and um, it'll be a lot of fun.
0: No, it's going to be um, bizarre as as someone who's driving for the car. To accelerate out onto that that start finish line for the first time in this, this arena, this, this cauldron of, of sporting history. Mm-hmm. And to cross the line of bricks in a race car that we've, you know, brought to this place over the years. The the same yard of bricks that um that Unza that Clark at the Hill that Fittipaldi have driven over before. Mm mm-hmm. is gonna be a little, you know, a little emotional for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Have either
2: of you guys been to Indy yet?
0: No. I went to the Indy 500 in 2010. Okay, cool. So I have been to the facility. I know, you know, how it feels, how it looks from the outside to see them put on a race. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to then drive a car on that same piece of tarmac.
1: It's ironic. I grew up, or I lived in Ohio, like, two hours from the track for, you know... 15 years or 10 years i've never been i mean i've been to indianapolis but i've never been to the to speedway so right. i'm excited
0: no i'm, I'm very excited so and, we're and be I'm, I'm also looking forward um,
1: to um meeting some of the guys that i've never met before that i know pretty well um that are on the team yeah. that have never been to events and uh, that's gonna be a really cool thing too again you
0: know a social aspect of motor racing particularly this sort of budget endurance racing that we do the social aspect is very important i feel and especially for a race team that got it started online with these, you know, members that have been, you know, we've been speaking to for a number of years, have never met face to face. It's going to be very nice to to again consolidate that relationship and mm-hmm. to to consolidate that that teamwork. So yeah. let me
2: let me ask you a question. Uh, when you guys first formed HGA, meaning I don't know, I'll kind of all encompass it. Did you guys assume when you got into the real world racing with Champ Car that this would kind of turn into a thing where it's almost like once you're in it, you're kind of in it for life in the sense of friendship. Um, Even if I kind of just moved to Antarctica and just did nothing, I would have a vested interest in in all of your lives because I am genuinely friends with you know all of you guys plus the car mm-hmm. and how it does I mean did you guys ever feel that way Tom when you were starting it up or did when did you start to realize that was the case
0: I think the first 24 hour race we did was when I realized it was really a, a movement um, at VIR at in 2017 yeah. because to that point, like, we'd done the online stuff and, you know, we'd hang out, have a good time whatever. For 2017 when we had a group of people come down fly in from Australia from Canada on the strength of that relationship Mm -hmm. and to see everyone arrive on the same day with all their backgrounds, with all their, their plans to consolidate and to to arrive at this focal point, this nexus of the team and then just to seamlessly transition into a race weekend. That's when I realized that actually this this was more than just, you know, a pipe dream. This was something that was real. And more than just
2: internet friends that you race with right. once in a while.
0: Right. Yeah. This was something that we could rely upon and we had a strength and a core that we could then build that that upon. And I think that that, that, that informed us at that point that we could then build and grow and start bringing more people in because we had a we had a solid foundation and so actually, yeah pe- people could do this
2: what about you faucet when did when did that kind of come to your realization
1: i don't know it's tough it's just it's funny i joined huge ass just because i was in the league that I've, all the guys ran in and i just thought they were the coolest like guys around i'm like I got to be on that team. Like, they're so cool. Like, I remember telling my <laughs> friends, and I don't, now that I'm on the team, and I've been it a part of It sounds ridiculous when you say it now. <laughs> now that I'm on the team, and I've been a part of the team for, like, the better part of, like, almost a year and a half, like, it's it sounds ridiculous. But I remember telling, like, my, my friends, I'm like, yeah, there's these guys that run in the Reddit League, and they're really cool, and they all have these cool paints, you know, and they're all, and they just, it seems like so cool, they're all a team, you know, and they go to real races, you know, and then I joined the team, and, um... It's just cool, like you go to like my first race was Watkins Glen and I admit yeah. like hardly any of them. And to just show up and have already have a relationship with these people and, and you're going racing in real life and I don't know, I I think the first time I hang out hung out with Alex Albert when I went just on a Saturday to work on the car and, and do that, I think that's kinda when I realized it was just more than just like a i racing team that <laughs> It was more like a wow. This is like a cool actual race team, um, right? Which is interesting. But we shouldn't let we shouldn't leave um, our guest waiting any longer. I think.
0: No, I think it's so. Speaking of the camaraderie <laughs> and uh, friendships that we've brought up, let's bring our guest into the booth now, if he's around. Um, hello, Jeff. Are you there?
1: Oh. Oh, no, he's not. We got too busy waxing lyrical about the race team. <laughs> uh, that's funny. So
0: I'll uh, we'll give them a moment to come back to the booth. I'll say
2: for me, continuing the theme that we're just talking about, it's kind of the same thing: meeting in real life, um, and not just meeting. It wasn't like we just went out to eat, right? Meeting everyone in real life for the common goal of just seeing the car being as successful as it possibly could. Uh, Watkins Glen we weren't concerned with winning we were concerned with everyone getting in the car driving to the best of their ability and having a blast and the people that were working on the car filling up the tanks you, you know just taking off tires after the race and and then hanging out and having a good time after it it's the same thing it's it, it feels good when you're all achieving the same goal which is to have a car
0: drive right right and it's the same I think with any Motorsport team is that you have that it's not just the drivers that are integral and important to the, to the success of the team
1: mm-hmm.
0: we have we have a strong membership base and a strong team base that will support the efforts of the team in every single possible arena and area even and if we have to support Jeff even if we have to support <laughs> Jeff
1: the, which you know, gets which gets difficult. He's at the times. Times. <laughs> But,
0: you know, Uh,
2: I think the other part is, you know, we, we have a lot of strong personalities in H.J. And I think when the first time that I actually got really pissed at someone, I don't even remember who. And I was just like, screw that guy. He's, you know, dumbass, whatever. And then the next day or so later. I kind of got over it because I realized at the end of the day nobody's perfect, everyone makes mistakes I make hundreds per day right? and, and that these are my friends and I actually genuinely cared rather than it was just some random schlum that I don't like
0: mm-hmm. Right
2: Other than Jeff Other
0: who than Jeff who apparently is having headphone issues um, But we'll keep talking about the jump car efforts at Indianapolis that are coming up um, so we are going to be racing the weekend of the 13th, 14th. Champ car, it's a double 10, which means there are 10 hours of racing on Saturday, 10 hours of racing on Sunday. Which, when you think about it, it's actually 20 hours of racing time. That's quite a lot. Oh, for it's,
1: sure. It's four hours short of 24. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. With, it's... with a nice snooze in the middle. Which is so nice. <laughs> right. I... Yeah. I, it's funny. When we went to VIR for the 24 hour last year, I had done probably three or four iRacing 24 hour events. So I'm like, oh, you're fine. Like, it's just one of those. But instead of, you know, racing a virtual car, racing a real car. But it should be like the same. It's totally. I mean, I wanna say it's totally different, but from a physical standpoint, it's so much more different in the way that like i was like oh i'm just crew in the car you know every two hours it'll come in we'll put gas in it it'll be fine not changing tires or anything you know but just getting everything ready for the stops getting the fuel getting everything it's like it was so exhausting and at the end of the 24 hours like when you have you know half an hour of sleep from the pit lane you're just like exhausted then you realize how impressive it is that these guys race at Daytona and at Le Mans and at the Nürburgring for 24 hours at right. much higher speeds. <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. It's it's uh, yeah. I don't, know yeah. where I, was, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what
2: analysis to be paid for. I was waiting for a continuation and I was, a point. I was, yeah,
0: I was waiting for a point.
2: And I was just like, okay, all right, I like where he's going. And then I was like, wait, where is he going?
1: I think it was one of those things where I started talking and then I forgot what I was originally talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do that I just, all the time. Yeah. Don't worry
0: about it, it's fine.
1: <laughs> Whenever I talk this to is, my
2: dogs, I normally just ramble, get confused.
1: This is what happens when we have to fill time, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, it's going to...
2: Double 10, and then... So, if I remember right, you guys have to get out, like, really quickly after the second race ends. Is that correct?
0: Uh, So, race begins at 8, I think. So So it finishes at 6. And then we have to be out of the facility by 9. We have three hours of oh. okay, okay. up time. That's
2: not too bad. Yeah. Um, it's not horrific.
0: So something that's been very apparent to us is that Indie run a very tight ship as a facility. Yes. Just from very, all. Of the very very much different posts. from even, you know, VIR or Watkins. Yeah. The su- the supplementary uh rules that we have been given have been vastly
1: granular and uh yeah, it's, it's kind of – it's crazy. They posted um, – what was it? They posted the rules about, like, the – it wasn't necessarily, like, track limits, but it was, like, the, the the straight on the infield. They were talking about, you know, don't go onto the grass. And if you do go on the grass, you'll get fined. I don't I, – it's some very, very crazy, weird rules. They're very tight shit. Over there, they're there, there. It's it's almost like it's 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 a you know world. It's almost class like it's a world racing class venue. racing GTs, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so that, uh, that's. Keep... Oh my god, he's here! Oh thank god, we don't have guys to keep filling. <laughs> guys,
0: we're so professional. Oh no, he's Oh, go! oh my god, no.
1: <laughs>
0: Bring him again. Try again. Oh, there he goes. <laughs> Hi Jeff, can you hear me?
3: Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, we oh, can. There he is. Oh Thank my God. gosh. Thank God for Amazing. that. Um,
0: Amazing. <laughs> I'm, we're, we're I'm very So, special so uh,
3: what's going So on? I'm <clears throat> well, uh I'm walking my dog right now actually. <laughs> of uh, <course> you are. <laughs> so I've I've got you on my phone and like I downloaded Discord and had the app all set up and blah blah blah, but yeah, I think uh it must have had push to talk on by default. Um so i turned that off and that didn't seem to work and then uh anyway i messed with things started the. here we are well you're here now and and you sound great yes thanks yeah it's good to to be here
0: this is this is uh this is an hj class. plus first is having someone actually attending to their pet outside (laughs) while being involved in a podcast
3: yeah it's a beautiful night i'm sure it is clear skies i hope our i hope our viewers are are still with it. After the, all the, the all seven of them, yeah. This is a podcast, yes. so I don't think we have too many viewers. I mean, listeners, sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: so what do we want to talk about? So, Jeff, first off, why don't you just tell us about yourself and how you got involved with you, as as a team?
3: Uh, oh, gosh. Well, that goes back to iRacing, um, yep. the, the the simulator, um, and the, the Reddit iRacing League. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, gosh, when was it, Tom? Maybe 20... 15 or so has it been about 4 years now it's been about 4 years yeah I'd i think say. yeah um sorry my dog is playing with the leash uh but yeah i think um yeah i think that's about the time that i kind of started browsing reddit a lot and i was looking at the iracing subreddit trying to learn and get started um, i built uh my own computer and that got some tips from there um and in the sidebar i saw the Reddit iRacing League and figured I would give that a try, and the rest is uh, history, as they say.
0: But that, but that um, wasn't your your first um, initiation to, to motorsport or to motor racing.
3: No, it wasn't. Um, I uh, kind of grew up in, in a bit of a motorsport family. Um, my my dad is a uh, a race engineer, so okay. he's done um, Indie Lights and Atlantic and Champ Car and. The, uh, when Champ Car went defunct, IndyCar, he's done Grand Am, he's done a little bit of NASCAR. I think a, a couple of things with F1, but not a whole lot. So Jesus. yeah, so I kind of grew up grew up in in that environment, going to going to races and test days and the thing with and him. Then... Um, and then in in high school, um, he helped me get a go kart. Um, so I got a used. I used 100cc go kart, um, but I didn't have uh, I didn't have much of a budget. I didn't have a truck. I didn't have a trailer, and but I was I was friends with someone who was getting seriously into karting and had all the uh, the trailer and uh, spare parts and all kinds of stuff, and that was my friend Billy, um, now a uh, now a professional driver just got done with Le Mans. That would be Billy um, Johnson it. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, started going to going to races with him and I would kind of be able to load my cart in the back of his trailer. And <laughs> um, yeah, so started doing that in, in high school. Um, then um, I had another friend uh, who was also into racing. His dad uh, sent us both to uh, Laguna Seca to do the Skip Barber racing school. Yep. Um, so that was kind of my first experience in the car at like eight, about 16. And uh, after that, um, Billy was starting to kind of make a name for himself. Um, and he was starting to do, he was instructing at track days and for various HPD organizations, Skip Barber and that sort of thing. And he started recommending me to people. Um, so I started doing some, coaching um and uh he recommended me to um this kind of uh this tuner shop operation um and so i actually started driving for them in time attack company. um so we did a uh, we fielded an s2000 we fielded a turbo mr2 uh and then a, a bmw 135 okay so, uh, so that was, that uh, yeah, was started a
0: experience of, of track competition.
3: Yeah, yeah, um, but it was just kind of it was time trials. You know, it wasn't wheel to wheel stuff. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I did do um, uh, Billy um, and and myself and some other folks um, prepped, uh, built and prepped a, a spec Miata for this big race out in California called the Twenty Five Hours of Thunderhill. Yes. Um, it's a track, a track up in Northern California. Um, and so that was kind of my first uh, first little foray into wheel to into wheel and then um, a little while after that I got to do a, a Skip Barber weekend at Seabring Seabring, Florida. And how did that go? But uh, it went pretty well. Um, <laughs> so there were, there were a couple of guys who were uh, who were really kind of rise, their careers, but I wasn't too far off. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. Um, bonked, uh, bonked the car into the wall. Practice, but we don't need much about that. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, uh, mostly after that, just uh, did a bunch of the time attack stuff. Did a lot of uh, HPDE coaching. I kind of, uh, I could charge a little bit of money, you know, to do it on the weekends made it made it uh worthwhile to do got to drive a bunch of different bunch of different cool street cars uh but uh yeah and then uh so yeah when i started getting into sim racing I met you guys and there was talk of um going racing i th- think i recall i kind of thought uh you guys were thinking about a, an e30 building up a bmw e30 well, yeah we bought an and at one point <laughs> yeah yeah and <laughs> and my my experience uh kind of getting ready for the 25 hours of thunder hill i said no 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 like you want to buy something someone's already built because there's a lot of there are a lot of folks who have gotten into racing and done a good job building cars and realized it's either not for them or it's too expensive or something um, yeah if you're if you're patient and keep your eye out you can you know, you can find a, a really good deal on a already prepped uh, spec Miata or, or similar. And so, yeah. if I recall correctly, so, uh, you
0: were actually the source of our car. Of our
3: I think car. so, yeah. I, I think I saw it on Craigslist. Craigslist in Charlottesville, VA. Something like, yeah, somewhere in Richmond, somewhere around there. Um, or yeah, it was out near, yeah, it was, out, it was kind of between here and Richmond. Right. Um, yeah. So, so that you were the... very
0: much the uh, the catalyst for our yeah. for our choice of vehicle,
3: yeah. And so I know... also,
0: you attended the first ever race we did at VAR uh, yeah. South,
3: and I was the first one to drive the car on track, wasn't I? You were. I remember, we right?
0: we had no faith yeah. in ourselves <laughs> as having been complete amateurs. So we but thought, well, we we'll of uh, our own tame racing driver.
3: Yeah, but then fully uh, fully proved yourselves. <laughs> so everyone did did really well that week.
0: So, so, so speaking of that specifically, um, and given your experience and, and history of actual experience on track, we have a couple of newcomers getting into the car for the first time at Indianapolis and in VAR. What advice would you give them to approach the weekend in, in the right frame of mind?
3: Um, gosh, uh, you might even be better, you may be better equipped to answer that than me just because you've gone through it more recently but um i kind of i always try to i go back to my my coaching days and really try to emphasize that the first thing you want to get down for starting out your track and car and even if it's your very first time in a car on a track uh is the racing line uh, that's really critical it's not something that necessarily comes naturally you have to think about it driving on the racing line uh you know we're so used to we're so used to street driving that using all of the track being right up against the edge of the track on braking, um maximizing your corner radius all the way out on it so getting those uh getting all those points uh, around your track is really critical and if you learn that quickly then you can start picking up the pace sooner and start kind of playing with the car on. What uh, what really surprised me at our first VIR weekend was just how quickly the guys who only had sim racing experience picked it up. I think that was Alex and Mate, uh, and that weekend, okay. right, yeah. Tom? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when I was coaching, um, it was kind of before iRacing had become so popular and prevalent, so I never had anyone. Uh, I never had any students, if you will, um, who had any kind of sim experience. So it was like really starting with a clean slate. I had someone you know, who was kind of new or newish. Right. But but no, the, the, the sim experience, I think you come into the real experience, you come into the real track, come to the real track with a really good idea of what the correct thing to do is. Any given yeah. corner, any given situation. So I mean, that was I, really I, cool to see. I was, I was just so impressed with how everyone took to it.
0: And I, I think that's really the uh, the raison d'etre that we that we need the team to be is is providing this link between the sim racing world and the real world. And so actually, these transfer these skills transfer very easily and yeah. naturally to the to the track environment.
3: Definitely, um, definitely. Um, I think that I think that the the folks who you see really stand out in the sim you know like evan Sven, uh a couple there's plenty more but i think that 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 kind of talent ability i think that's going to translate to the real car too and that's i think we've already seen i think we've already seen that with evan with how quickly he yeah and his evan. fairly fairly you know he's kind of only been driving for what a year or two two um, years at this point yeah yeah two years on the real track and
2: He's really dove head first, and to, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he would race. I don't know chopping down trees if it got him. Race <laughs> like he he doesn't care what it is. He wants to get behind something and try to go faster yeah. than someone else.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But he's shown he's shown real skill uh, in the sim, and I think that's just translated you know, right over to the real world. So yeah, it's cool to cool to see that.
0: I agree, and. Uh... Can we expect to see you at VIR
3: this year? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if I'm going to drive or not. So I'm in. Uh, well,
0: you'll, be, you'll drive in the karting at least. We have a team karting. Uh, yes, the, the
3: karting. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I definitely want to. Uh, I want to snag some practice Friday.
0: Uh, you had a <clears throat> experience last year. I remember in the karting, um,
3: which we won't gloss over necessarily but let's just hope that you get
0: to complete the full
3: amount of laps no no well let's not gloss over that actually i want to talk about (laughs) that so this is so now this is important because earlier today uh i don't know if our uh dear listeners are aware of our group chat um they're not i will then again no one should be I it. want to speak very highly of it and just say that there's a lot of bullshit that goes on in there. Um, <laughs> yes,
1: that's being but, very generous. But
3: yes. what was said in there was that I uh, got kicked out of the VIR a karting experience. And uh, I, I want to debate that a little bit. I think actually on net, I got someone into the VIR kart track. Uh, was that someone uh, When new? you netted out. No, no, no. I got me kicked out. Yep. However, shortly after Mr. Crawford uh, got himself ejected too, oh. so uh, I then I was responsible for one person getting kicked out, but I was actually able to talk uh, both of us back in. So next, I think on I think on again. net I was I was plus one.
2: <laughs> Is that how it <laughs> works? I
3: just yes, definitely. So definitely. I just wanted maths. to wanted <laughs> to set the record straight on that.
1: That's that's some Jeff logic. I think, <laughs> I think it might be. Uh, But hey, you know
0: what? You know what? I'm going to allow it for the good of the team. Yeah, you know it. what? We got a race.
1: <laughs> I think
2: uh, I definitely think that guy was. Um, you know, he definitely wasn't happy with the stopping when we got on that dirt. The, or not well, dirt? The dust on the um, the the kind of glossed, dusty pit lane. Yeah, yeah. the glossed garage it just didn't stop i was moving maybe three miles an hour but i hit the brakes and then i was moving 2.9 miles an hour and then 2.8 and he you know <laughs> got on jeff and then turned and looked at me and you're out of here too i was like
3: what? what well you know well where that where that came from was at a at a real car track the real card and all that people will do that uh coming into the hit the lane like entrance road they'll kind of scrub the tires and slide a little bit coming in so that's all that was it was just old habit well
1: what's funny about the whole incident was i i was standing right at the edge of pit lane when you did it and so when you came sliding in sideways off the track i thought it was really cool <laughs> <laughs> and then the carding guy was like not happy immediately and i was like
3: oh that's yeah. not
1: good <laughs> okay
3: no it was, I was, it like was totally definitely do
1: that same thing when i came in i'm like oh, that was sweet i gotta try that
3: which is probably yeah. why he told you not to do it. It was definitely coming in, coming in a little hot. Should not have, should not have, done. but yeah. just want the record so, to show. That. What's a fun story to tell? You?
0: Exactly. And speaking exactly. of coming yeah. in a little hot, um, we were discussing earlier in the podcast the uh, Austrian Grand Prix with respect to the, to oh the, right, or not, yeah. respect to Max Verstappen. Um, what was your view of that incident?
3: Well, so I, I figured that would be a, a topic that would come up. So I did a little a little background research. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually kind of pulled up the uh, the FIA Sporting code. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that here. If you give me a second, I will my phone. Okay, so in the uh, in the letter that the stewards uh, sent out, they said that there was an alleged violation of the FIA international sporting code chapter four, uh, section two, which covers overtaking and track. Learning. Um, and there's some key language in there that, that stood out to me. And, uh, they, they didn't mention the language in the, uh, in the ruling that they, that they published out. And I think that, I don't know. I think you can read into that a little bit. Um, but let's see. So, uh, finding the language here. Uh, da, 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 da. So, uh, in section, uh, in part B of chapter four, so two, it says maneuvers liable to hinder other drivers, such as deliberate crowding of a car beyond the edge of the track uh, which or is any what other, happened, admi- which is what happened. Yeah. Or any other. Adm- Direction are strictly prohibited. So uh, I thought that was some critical language. Um, and they didn't reference the specific subparts here. They just stood chapter mm-hmm. four, section two. Um, there was another bit of. Oh, the other part was about causing a collision. It says causing a collision uh, will be reported to the stewards, it may entail wow. the imp- so that one's a little more, I think, a little more gray, and that's that subsection right. D. The yeah, co- um, the collision
0: was caused and it was reported, so that's that's as, right. it, as, as it was. Yeah, but do you but think I, that I've Max f- deliberately caused that incident to gain? Absolutely,
3: absolutely. Yeah, I think he absolutely he uh, if you watch carefully. Yeah, if you watch carefully, as soon as he starts to get on the throttle, he opens up the steering. And, and, when, and right when he realizes Leclerc is going to get a good exit, uh, the same thing that happened last lap is going to happen again. Uh, Max abruptly, he really abruptly opens up the steering and just lets the car run left yeah. and runs them right off the road. So as a yeah.
0: steward, how would you have approached that that issue?
3: Yeah, so the way I like to think of it, and this isn't written anywhere in the F1 rules, so... Uh, i don't know if this is worth but i like to think of it as imagine it was a street circuit with a concrete barrier right at the white line at the the limits of the track right Yep. so if you have such a barrier in place and that kind of creates a a presumption drivers have to obey the track limits or else they're going to crash um leclerc did the right thing uh he 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 took a late apex. He set himself up to uh, to get a really good exit, um, and he was gonna. He would be right up against that imaginary concrete wall that we're you know, that we're hypothesizing. Um, Max, in that scenario, uh, suppose there is a wall there. What if Max had done what he did? Well, I think. What do you guys What do you what guys did. think? Well,
0: I well, would have backed
3: out. Well, could he have? Leclerc was already right alongside him, so I, I think he would have caused him. An- if Max did what he did, Leclerc would have had nowhere to go. Uh, he was already right alongside Max. I think he would have would have crashed them both. So to me... I would,
1: I would think, though, that if that were the case, Max would have... I think if there was a wall there, Max probably would have raced him a little differently.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's why it's a kind of But to me, it illustrates that one driver did something clearly wrong. Leclerc doing what he did would have been okay had there been a a physical barrier there, uh, limiting the the track, the exit of the track.
2: So as for a penalty, whether, you know, we're assigning fault, let's forget about that for a second and just talk about the penalty. What would you have done if you were the
3: steward? To me, uh, it's important that uh, it would happen quickly and know that, um, you know, you don't want to, if you're going to, immediately dole out a penalty you want to be sure it's the right thing so you can only do that if you are 100 sure in this case to me it was very cut and dry the call should have been for max immediately to give the position uh, he gained an advantage by by running off the track and that was very apparent uh, in the moment and even uh, i think the stewards could have taken 20 or 30 seconds to watch watch the replay a couple of times from a couple of different angles if they want to be absolutely clear and then issue that rule. But if there's any gray area, then wait until enough time to pass and they can issue a time. What do, uh, what do you guys think?
2: I think we're kind of all in agreement. I think the handing out of the penalty is the hard part we're, as a whole kind of just over the deciding after the race is over incident. Um, yeah. And, and so that's kind of the hypothetical is what if we did grid placements for the next race? What if we did immediate action? What if we can't? So I think we're all kind of in unison that it wasn't the correct move. I kind of, I kind of support the let him drive because I think, you know, Leclerc will get Verstappen back and I don't want FI or Formula One to be too regulated. I think we've had too many penalties handed out recently. That yeah. you know, I think it will come around, go around, and yeah,
3: and go from there. Yeah, I, I can see. Um, to me, not enforcing or not not serving a penalty uh, on what Max did, not issuing a penalty for that, kind of cheapens the racing. Um, it's easy to do what he did, and and it forces the other driver to to yield. Uh, or crash, which most uh, guys wouldn't wouldn't do. I think uh, a Schumacher, maybe, uh, if that was Schumacher in Leclerc's car, I think it probably would have been an <laughs> <laughs> Where, right, Tom. I think it would have been a different <laughs> result, though. Yeah, yeah, but but not not issuing a for that, in my opinion. Well, we'll see. I, to me, it it allowed it allowed a, an overtake and possibly a win uh, without a real a real well done upper overtake
0: yeah and i i think we'll see in time um hopefully that karma will work itself out and yeah
3: the, the do you I have a question yeah.
0: yeah yeah
3: i have a question do you guys know do they have the same stewards for every race no they don't okay. and that's
0: that's something that i think, I think could be improved if yeah they had a consistent stewarding staff with the yeah you know consistent input then that would be greatly uh improved
2: at minimum, right. it would make the consistency. Whether you agreed with the decision or not, it would be hopefully more consistent.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I would, I would have also appreciated a little more patient The ruling, but oh,
0: especially after three hours worth of deliberations. Yeah,
3: yeah. And and when you go and read, you go and read the actual rule book, like I did, and you guys yeah. patiently waited for me to pull up. It seems pretty clear from the rule book that that should have been so.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was frustrating watching it because you know, like, it was right before the. I, I thought surely they'd have the decision made before the podium, you know, like right. they'd have the, the podium celebration and the person standing on top would actually be the one that was the one standing on top, but it wasn't. It was, right. Like, yeah. You know, still
3: commentary.
1: It could be Max, but we don't know, but he's going to shake. You know, spray the champagne. <laughs> like,
0: yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not
0: very yeah. optically for from yeah. a fan's perspective. So hopefully they tighten that up um, this year. But yep. uh, yeah, I think we Yeah, very much agree. Um, so thank you, Jeff, for, uh, yeah. for joining Thanks, us yes. tonight. <laughs> and,
3: um, it was a pleasure.
0: And uh, we look forward to seeing you at VAR in next month.
3: Next month. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez,
1: that's so close.
3: So um, uh, good luck in uh, in Indianapolis. Thank you. Um, we'll be watching closely.
0: Yep. And to that end, uh, you can also watch along with us in uh, Huge Ass onboard cameras. We'll be live on YouTube. Our YouTube channel: youtube.com/hugeass. And we're posting updates on our Instagram and Twitter feeds and Facebook and all that good stuff. Just look for HJ Motorsport three three seven. And that about wraps it up, I think, for this episode of the Huge Aspatic Pass. Uh, as ever, you can get in contact with us. Any feedback you have, any uh, questions, or if you want to be involved in the show, if you want to come on the show, let us know. Email address is hjmpodcast at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. But for now, I think it's uh, goodbye from myself, Tom Ellison. With me has been uh, Andrew
1: Fawcett. Good night. And also, Mazda got their first win. That's all and Mazda say. got their anyway. first win. <laughs> uh, and Alex Crawford. Peace. <laughs>
0: and in the booth has been Michael Derby keeping us all at the level and controlled. So thank you, everybody, and we'll see you again soon. Good night.